Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Joss, and we're about to enter the danger zone with me today. Hi, I've been jammed into a corner and told to behave because I'm call sign tech. And we've got a special guest. Uh, I just started passing through and they wrote me into this. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, maybe call for help. And your call sign is? Oh, NCAF1. Absolutely. So you've got Nutty, Tech, and NCAF1 as your uh, naval aviators today. As, as Not na- really. Naval gazers? Is that naval what we are? Naval gazers. The naval gazers today. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because what happened is we watched Top Gun last night. And then we watched Top Gun Maverick today. And we're going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're... We are definitely going to talk about this. So let's let's just kind of start out with our history of Top Gun. So the three of us are from an era um, where, well, well, we were around for the first movie. Back in our day, Top Gun was new. While I did watch it on VHS, I was <laughs> old enough to, I was alive enough, rather, to see it in theaters. We just didn't all go to the theater. So this was 86. 86. That's so, great wow. year. So I was... Eight. I, you know, I feel like I could, I, I might not have been, I, if I, even if I hadn't watched this movie, I still would have watched this movie. Nah. Like it was so prevalent from the songs to oh, the yeah. look to what everybody was talking about. Um, I, uh, for me, a, a movie the same way, but when I was a little bit older, when Terminator 2 Judgment Day came out, mm. there was no way in heck my mom was ever going to let me watch that movie. But it was in so many music videos and commercials yeah. and re- and things that I'm pretty... By the time I actually saw it, I felt like I'd already seen it. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Although I did actually remember watching Top, Top Gun. Thankfully, we watched it again last night because mm. I didn't remember anything about it other than... Uh, Actually, I don't think I remembered anything about it. Maybe there were, there were planes. I think is what I was thinking. Right. That that that's a good that's a good assumption. Now, Tech, you've mentioned this story before, but would you like to share with the audience how you watched Top Gun for the first time? Like I said, I was eight, and I had pretty overprotective parents, um, and my mom was of the mind that if she didn't understand it, there's no way I could understand it. And my mom is French first language, so she didn't understand much of anything. So I didn't watch a lot of movies. Um, but this one here, especially because there is a there is a rather adult series of love scenes between Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis in the original. Oh, I thought movie. you were going to mention between him and the bike, right? Uh, right, or between him and the plane. him and Goose, oh. and then between Maverick and Iceman, and like Slider and they everybody. Just kiss already. I mean, it's a lot of a yeah. Lot they could have just kissed in that locker room, and it would have made it a lot less awkward. It'd be less romantic that way. It though. would be. Um, and then Kelly McGillis gets involved and it becomes this big sexy thruple. But uh, no. Um, so I wasn't allowed to watch the movie because it had kissing scenes in it. And my mom didn't want me to see it. And it was very adult. And the death of Goose is pretty graphic. Yeah. You know, you watch him break his neck on the canopy. Spoilers. It's pretty bad. It is pretty bad. But very well done. Um, By so- the way, spoilers for Top Gun from 1986. Yes. And we're probably going to spoil a bit of uh, the new movie. Yeah, so. but I don't want to go line by line, scene by no. scene through the new movie. But we're gonna, yeah, we're probably going to spoil stuff. There may Listen be kissing, at though. your own risk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there is kissing. Um, the so it was the I remember my parents had rented the movie, and I was getting ready to go to school the next morning. My dad was just getting ready to go to work, and I really wanted to see the movie. And my mom had basically told me, "Well, we'll watch it first, and maybe you'll watch it tomorrow." So I get up like really early and I find my dad's like, so can I watch Top Gun? And he's like, no. 
No, no, you, you, you absolutely cannot. And my mother's very adamant that I'm all depressed through breakfast. And then my mom goes off to take care of my sister or something. And my dad's like, Psst, Fred, come here, come here, come here. <laughs> and he brings me into the living room. And while my mom is in the room, my dad is, we're standing up at the TV and he's hiding the remote control to the VCR and he fast forwards through the movie, only showing me the flight scene. So <laughs> all I saw of Top Gun for most of my childhood is just the dogfights. I didn't know about the death of Goose. I didn't know about the kissing scenes with Kelly McGillis. None of that was important to me. It was just like you 15 minutes of the uninterrupted dogfights. <laughs> you didn't know about the homoerotic... Uh, uh, the, the locker room scenes, the volleyball... The volleyball scenes is where I was going. Hanging with the boys. No, none of it. None of it was important. His slider doing that really cool pose. No, none of it until much later. Like to me, that movie has always been just those really cool airplanes because I, you may not know this fans, but I am a huge airplane nerd and I have, I have all the books. I knew all the stats and it was just, it was a formative moment in my history. So, uh, I, I did not watch this in theaters, uh, because my family really didn't go to theaters much. Uh, there, there were a lot of us kids, so we didn't do the theaters, but, um, we did all gather around as soon as we got it on VHS and watched it together with a friend of the family who was on the supervisor, was the supervisor of the welding team for the Tomcats that were being built in my hometown. So it was kind of a big deal. And he was whispering all sorts of facts to me uh, in my ear while we're watching. Well, you know what, what this actually does and what this actually does. And blah, 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 blah. Um, Can I add in a funny story about finally meeting him? Yes, yes. Finally meeting the man who uh, welded, super- welded the lunar module, welded yep. on Tomcats. Yeah. I finally get a chance to meet him at our wedding and we're at the reception and I get to have a conversation with him and I'm talking about different types of welding. I'm afraid about this going out on the air. There were problems with other aircraft that were being happening at the time and I was very curious to get his insight on what he thought and we're having this amazing conversation and then Nutty's sister runs up to me and goes, oh my God, that's my favorite song, Come Dance With Me. I'm like, okay, uh... I'll talk to you later, sir. And then I, I go onto the dance floor and I'm dancing with Nutty's sister. And I, I turn to her and I, the song is not that good. <laughs> I'm like, really? This is your favorite song? She goes, oh, Lord, no, it really isn't. But I know that when he gets on a tear, uh, <laughs> you have to like get yourself pulled away. So I was just rescuing you. I'm like, are you nuts? I was enjoying that conversation. She rescued the wrong person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She uh, should have pulled him away. <laughs> that was so fun. Uh it was great. It was great. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's how I watched it with my entire family sitting around uh, the, the, the TV set furniture. You know, you know that the when your TV is actual furniture. Right, yeah. but yeah. it doesn't work and the functional TV is on no, top no, of no, it. No, 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 no. It was still working. It was still working. Uh, but the, the VHS did not actually have a remote. It had clicker buttons. So. Right. Good times. So how about you, Mark? Yeah, What do you remember of watching it the first time? I, I have no specific memory of watching this movie. And even we watched it again last night, and I was even going, oh, oh, I, I didn't realize that happened. I think for me, the experience kind of washed over me, hmm. leaving just the general impression of oh, some, some planes flying around. That's pretty cool. And and everything else. And, and people have read so much in that movie. I think people read way too much because they're bored. Um, because I don't think most of it was really there. But it was also kind of a foreign, you know, a foreign nation to me as well. Right. This whole notion of, like, I have no connection to the military whatsoever. So for me, it was like, I guess that's how it works. I don't know if this is, is this a thing? This is a thing. 
And then, you know, the, again, my impression last night of watching the, the old film was kind of like, okay, I see what they were trying to do and I see what they were trying to, to fit it in. And it was like, which came first, the special effects of the planes flying around, they stuck a story around it, or did they kind of go, well, we have this story, we got to, we got to make sure that somebody dies to make it sad in the middle. Um, which I will say that while I was not as impressed with Top Gun, the original movie, the newer one did really good in picking up on what was in the first one and going, we've got some bones here to work with. Let's right. really flesh those out. Because yeah. the first one, it's just, it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of people I hated in high school mm-hmm. doing yes. all the cool things anyway and then kind of getting sad for a little bit, but there's still really cool people doing cool things. So. Yeah. Um, but it would have been a VHS rental. It, uh, there were no movie theaters anywhere near me. An hour drive was a movie theater, so it was not wow. going to be there. So it probably was on this cheap little, like, five-inch television, maybe even black and white. And, and yeah, I probably would have been like, what was that? I don't understand what that happened. So how old would you have been when this came out? Uh, what, what year did we say this 86. was? 86. So I was 13. Okay. So Just uh, a little bit older than Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, yeah, we should have hung we'll, out. We'll get to that later. Uh, we should have hung out. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know how specific it was. Years later, I would kind of understand a little bit more about some planes and stuff. But the, I, I like story more than I like the the, the, the planes. Hmm. And I don't really have an analogy for the original film, whereas the new one, I definitely do. Mm. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, I can't yeah. really place it. I, I will say that um, rewatching it last night was, a great idea, by the way, Tech. Uh, we did this for Tron and Tron Legacy. We rewatched Tron right before going to see Tron Legacy. And there's a connection there because there they're both the same director. Yeah, weirdly yeah. enough. Uh, Top, Top Gun Maverick is the same director that directed Tron Legacy. Um, but And they both have speed, speeding cycles in them. So. Yes. I have a remi- a, 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 this idea that Maverick was this cocky guy with a, a, a pretty good heart and a good friend. And I rewatched it last night and I'm like, no, he's just a jerk. He yeah. is an out and out jerk. He doesn't care. He cares about like one person in the world and that's it. And I really don't like him. Yeah. One person. He yeah, In the original movie, Maverick cares about one person, Maverick. And, and, he, and, Go- and Goose after he loses him. But how many no. times does he forget? He's like, we were both there. Okay, we. No, 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 no. I will disagree with that. I, I think that Goose had always been a special person yes. to him. I, I think that 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 sort of bond, that sort of fun friendship that they had back and forth, mm. I think that's born out of of just being around each other. They were best friends, and that yeah. was pretty clear. Yeah, he was broken after Goose was gone, and that was you know, a pretty stark change. Like, I think I remembered this film being, oh yeah, rah, 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 pilots go, yay, all good. And watching it again, I'm like, oh, it's kind of a tragedy, actually. But when you, uh, there's a scene uh, later on in the movie where they're at a bar and it's Maverick and Kelly McGillis, his character Charlie, and then Goose, his son and his wife, played by Meg Ryan, and you see the affection that Meg Ryan has for Maverick. He's basically mm-hmm. a brother. He's basically yeah. part of the family. He is part of the family. Yeah. And then how quick she is to um, adopt Kelly McGillis's character into the circle because, well, if Maverick thinks you're cool, then I think yeah. you're cool. Right. And come sit with us and have fun and sing stupid songs. And, yeah. you know. Now, it may be the Dawson's Creek uh, speaking here. Okay. But- but I'm I'm a little confused as to why you have a torrid secret romance that you then take to the bar 
where everybody is. So I, <laughs> I, it was, it was like, Oh no, we can't do this. It'd be, it'd be improper for an instructor and a student to, to, to do anything improper, except if we're at the bar, it's okay there. Right. You know? and, but right from the beginning that this whole premise is flawed. And I, I, I mean, I don't want to nitpick these movies. I mean, uh, she really only likes him for the, for the, his experience. Yeah, she only wants the info. Only because he was inverted above a MiG-28 during a 4G negative pullover. Now, And and that is the most sexual thing we'll probably say today. Isn't it? (laughs) Now, what really bothers me is that they met at a bar because she lost that love and feeling. Mm -hmm. And Goose hates it when she does that. And then he gets a chance to go up and talk to her. But this is a bar that is known to be frequented by students because all of the students on the course are at that bar. So why is staff from the school going to the student bar? And you see her there with who is obviously another member of the faculty. And they obviously have like tests or readouts or some type of like office work to do. And it is a raucous bar. It's got a, a, a jukebox and a piano and people are going crazy all over the place. And it's a Navy bar. And then they're there to do homework in I'm, the student bar. I mean, I'm kind of assuming. I'm kind of assuming that it's the only bar in town. Yeah. It, you know, it's kind of like everybody ends up in cheers eventually. See, but if that's the case, then my argument that when they're, they're, he's singing uh, Great Balls of Fire with Meg Ryan and everything, I'm thinking they're at a different bar, but, you know. It's just the other side yeah. of the bar during the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like. <sighs> it, it, it's all sorts of problems. But, I mean, it was really great watching that again. And it was really interesting to see uh, some faces that I did not either did not remember or didn't know who they were. I didn't know that the backseater for Cougar and who ends up being Maverick's backseater during the climactic fight scene, that that was Tim Robbins. Yeah, I had no idea. I think he also prefers you don't remember that. (laughs) This is true. This is true. That is true. Uh, But yeah, Merlin himself was Tim Robbins. Yeah. Yeah. And then then, um, Adrian Pazdar is Mm -hmm. in the class. So you guys were going like, Cuckoo bananas over this guy. I don't know him at all. Who is this person? Well, I, I remember from Heroes was a big show for a while. He uh, okay. Played, he played the elder uh, of the two brothers, the Petrolli brothers. brothers. But he also is in a short-lived series called Prophet, which was a really weird series in which he was sort of a like crusading. Like Prophet, the speaker, the herald, or Prophet uh, as in the thing I make money? The thing you make money. That's okay. what it was spelled. spelled. Okay. But he was this broken character who was trying to I, – I can't even remember the premise of it. I think it was a, a business guy trying to make businesses do the right thing. But he was a broken guy that he had a secret spot in the back of his office where he crawled into a cardboard box to sleep because he had been he had been on the street and, and kind of completely shut out of all of this stuff. So I, I remember him as a really interesting actor. And then in Heroes, he became quite interesting as well. Mm. But it was it was the funny thing about Adrian Pazdar is he hasn't aged in 40 years. <laughs> I mean, he, he's he, aged a bit, but he doesn't age. He hasn't aged so the way you expect. Whatever, whatever uh, Tom Cruise was handing around on the set of that, yeah. clearly he got a, ba- a batch of it. Yeah. Um, now, he's really just a background character. He has like a half a line. He's He's got a formal call name and everything, but... But it was just kind of like that was the thing is it's hard to look at all the actors. I mean, you got Michael Ironsides at his peak pretty much in yeah. this film. Uh, you've got uh, Scarrett, uh, Tom, Tom Scarrett, who's who's you know also never ages because he always looks old. Um, and he's got that voice. Oh yeah, yeah, commanding the room. So in I mean, it's just kind of looking around and going, oh yeah, there were other actors that we didn't see for another five or ten so, years. So the two there's there's two characters the the two. Uh, 
the two instructors at the Top Gun at, at the Fighter Pilot Weapon School at the Fighter Weapon School that are uh, Jester and Viper, played by Tom Skerritt and Michael Ironside, that are these older, grizzled Vietnam veterans at, at this point in the eighties. They're very arch- archetypal characters. Here, yeah, yeah, they are. They are. But I, but and I want to get to it later when we talk about Maverick. That they then found not copycats, but they found that same archetype. Yeah. yeah. To put into the new movie, and I, I, I thought that was utterly brilliant. Yeah. Um, so do we want to talk about expectations? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, we, we prepared ourselves by watching the original last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're in Canada, it's on Crave. If you're looking for it, by the way, can't help the U S but if in Canada, you can get it with your Crave subscription. Um, so we, we, with the plans that we were going to go today, um, I was looking forward to Top Gun because I really did enjoy the movie. I remember enjoying the movie and it's just so iconic of the eighties that you can't help but want to. Now I was expecting the plot to suffer. I knew that they were putting a lot into filming and getting everybody ready and that the actual actors were up in planes and controlling the, uh, uh, video equipment and everything. Like I knew that technically there was going to be some beautiful scenes of flying. So I was excited about that. And I was prepared for a bad story or for me to cringe and hate Maverick. That, that was my expectation. I think going into this, uh, cause I've been listening to a couple other podcasts, uh, to get ready for this, um, that are related to like fighter pilots and the F-14 in particular. And they, you know, a lot of interviews with pilots that actually flew during the original movie or actual Top Gun instructors and how their experiences are very different than what, you know, is portrayed in the movie. But the, the one line that they kept repeating that was my expectation is that this is a movie, not a documentary. Like, mm-hmm. I have a military mindset. I have some experiences. I've been a plane junkie my whole life. F-18s don't Cobra. F-18s can't, F-14s can't do tail slides. There's about a thousand things wrong with both of these movies, but I still love them because it's a movie, mm. not a documentary. And you, you really have to divorce that out of your brain. So my expectation going in was that I was going to find a million things wrong, but I was still, I still was going to like it. And I think it succeeded there. But, uh, how about you, Mark? I, I'm, I'm the babe in the woods here. Um, because I suspected I wouldn't have seen this film if you guys hadn't coaxed me to go. I like to see films with friends. I like to see films and get a chance to talk about them with mm-hmm. friends. I like it when someone else expressed passion in a film because that makes me make make a give it a, a second look. Sure. Because I'm I'm not a military guy. I don't have any of that experience. I don't know any of the technical stuff that's going on in this movie. So for me, it's like it's, it must be right. They put it on film. Fine, that's the way it works. Um, but I did I did worry that this was going to be a you know Tom Cruise really wishes he'd uh, been able to live up to the original movie, and so is making a movie where he looks the best possible to to live up to it. Uh, you know, an, an aggrandizing, aggrandizing of his own ego. And I was very worried that it was going to go that way. Rewatching the first film softened that expectation a little bit because it's not just about that, but he wasn't as involved in the original film. Right. I think he was in the, in the new one. Um, I was very curious how they were going to potentially either update the story or if they were going to try to rehash the story. Um, and I had thought when I first heard that the new Top Gun film was coming out, it's like, oh, they're going to redo the film. 
And I'm not entirely, uh, I, I'm not entirely suggesting they didn't redo the original film, but they did do it better in that context. Mm-hmm. And, and they, and they did build on what they had done before. So I, I, my, my expectations were, were kind of minimal, but I was kind of impressed by what I saw. I, I, I think, you know, you were saying, you know, you were worried that it was going to be just Tom Cruise thumping his chest and showing how cool he right. is and aggrandizing this character. And it turns out, it's almost the opposite. It's mm. basically yeah. showing how fragile Pete Mitchell Maverick is. Yeah. And that again and again and again, he's been dealt with adverse blow and adverse blow like normal people. And that even though he's got this macho tough guy facade on the inside, all of that hurt him. Well, and, and there's yeah. something too about the way that they did this where he still is the best pilot around. He's still incredibly good at what he does. Mm-hmm. But it's it doesn't take it for granted. No. Yeah. And it, it always seems like he's working at the hardest point of his of his day when he's doing these things. He pulls them off mm-hmm. most of the time, uh, but he does so not because he's just that good. He does it because he actually works. And I, I think the, the, in the first film, the first half of the first film, the original film, he's not like he's just there. It's as easy as pie for him. He's just he's he's cocky. He's going to do it. Adverse problem kind of gets broken up a bit, rises back to the occasion. But this one, he's he's kind of at that that same level of being at the bottom and fighting for everything that he's doing. Yeah. He's still kind of a burrito, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, pardon, sorry. He's still kind of a uh, a rhombus. Rhombus, yep, even a rhombus. But he, but he, he, you know, but there is some redemption there. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and I was not kind of expecting redemption. I. Hmm. Where are we going from here, Nutty? Uh, so, so I want to talk about what they did well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with this one, if you don't mind. Right at the very beginning of the movie. Now, for listeners, uh, my wireless listeners, friends, I could just tear this apart, give this a 2 out of 10, and just cross my arms and harumph, but I'm not going to do that. So, like I said, it's a movie, not a documentary. Opening scene of this movie is Tom Cruise riding on the vintage motorcycle to get to work. And he goes into a hangar, and we are presented with this crazy-looking space plane thing that they call the Dark Star. And as it pulls out of the hangar, it's got this crazy cartoon skunk painted on the tail. And then he flies away, and he pulls off this mission because he is now a test pilot working for the Navy to test this new secret uh, airplane that they call the Dark Star. Now, the skunk logo is from a company called Lockheed Martin. That is the Skunk Works. That is their division that builds secret airplanes. They've built things like the SR-71 Blackbird, the F-117 Nighthawk Stealth Fighter. The There's actually a plane they built called the Dark Star that came out in the 90s but never went anywhere as a project. I think they built three or four of them. So they build really cool secret airplanes. Now, they could have gone, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson could have gone to any special effects warehouse in the world and gotten any designer of any video game company or any artist out there who knows how to draw lines to make an airplane to draw them a futuristic looking airplane. And all of us would have just gone, okay, it's a futuristic airplane. But they didn't do that. They went to Lockheed Martin. They went to the Skunk Works. They found the actual engineers that build these secret airplanes. And they said, build us a plausible but not secret Secret-looking airplane. Give us something plausible that isn't going to get us all thrown in jail. And they built the model of this thing called the Dark Star. 
And that is so cool because it looks so good because it was designed by actual engineers and it's plausible. And I am going to be downloading blueprints of this thing. I am going to be pouring all over this. I'm sure there's nerds that have already built versions of it in simulators that I can't wait to try because, oh my God, why not? It goes Mach 10.4 and then falls apart. Thanks, Mav. <laughs> but, oh my God, that just that opening. Uh, which you saw parts of the Dark Star in the trailer, and it kind of made me think that that would be like the culmination of the film, is that it was going to get picked for this secret project. But no, no, it's the opener. And that was really cool. That made me very happy walking into the theater with a big old goofy grin on my head. Um, That's one thing I thought they'd done well. Uh, <laughs> another thing I think they did really well is that they found the heart. They made you care about Maverick. They showed that he has lived a life and that his entire life was shaped by the last movie. That, yes, he was a jerk. This changed him. It changed him for the better. And they talk about how, oh, why are you still a captain? Why are you still a captain? But to me, that is part of all of it. It is the, and I've known guys like this, it's, it's, I'm still a captain so that less pilots die or less uh, aviators die because Goose was not a pilot, but he, he was a Rio. But it, it, it's all about like, I need to stay flying. Flying is who I am. And I need to make sure that what happened to me, what happened to Goose doesn't happen or I'll do whatever I can to stop it from happening again. You know, that this is all part of his life. I also think, uh, you know, they had the very much, uh, you may have seen this leading up to it, but that Rooster, Rooster is Goose's kid and he's interacting with him. And I know the big speculation was like, well, how involved with this kid was he? The way they gave us that information was really smart. They didn't think we were dumb. They didn't info dump it. It came in dribs and drabs. And you learn that, okay, he has been there. And also Rooster's mom died too. So he's really kind of felt like he had to step up. And I thought that was really cool. One really cool thing about those flashbacks that they did throughout the movie, and they showed photographs and things and they would flashback and there's scenes where they would flashback to like the climax, the climactic dogfight of the original movie and Goose's death and all that. And what really struck out is that in this modern movie with hundreds of millions of dollars of special effects budgets and everything, they just used the footage of the movie from 1986 <laughs> yeah. and it still holds up yeah, yeah. like the dummy in Goose's helmet that they crashed into the canopy when they showed it again in the theater we watched it today on the big screen it still looked just as raw and uh, as powerful as it did in 1986 i thought that was that just speaks to how good the original movie is that its special effects can still be used today. Absolutely. I mean, my memories from 1986 are kind of spotty, grainy, and a bit fuzzy too. Right, so. exactly. I mean, I, and, and if you think far back, far enough back, like the world didn't even have color, right? That's right. My, my childhood isn't black and white. Yeah. Um, you know, try to think back to other movies from about that time. Like, could you imagine if they did a sequel to, um, the Last Starfighter, or damn it, why did you have to pick that one? Last Starfighter, or which I love, by the way, or en think, or Enemy Mine, yeah, with Dennis okay. Quaid that I all also right, love. All right, all right. Uh, so I'm going to say with the Last Starfighter, we could still use this up special effects because it was done on great computer. Yeah, find a crazy supercomputer. Maybe Enemy Mine, we couldn't, um, and maybe um, Iron Eagle, we couldn't. You know, oh, uh, uh, oh. Uh, things like that. No one talks about Iron Eagle. <laughs> But uh, so there, there are a few I think you could uh, upscale pretty well. So, uh, uh, NCAF, what do you think? They did really well. So, 
I mean, I didn't know what this movie was going to be. I didn't have, I didn't watch any of the trailers. Like I said, Babe in the Woods, mm-hmm. which is actually my preferred position to go into a movie. Me I'd, too, absolutely. I'd rather not know anything. I'd rather see what they want me to see and pull all together. Even though they might have made the trailers, they're still trailers always lie. Yeah. So I wasn't sure, you know, I, I knew this movie was going to have a plane in it, probably, mm-hmm. uh, and probably some hotshot piloting. So I kind of knew that part was going to be there. And that was fine. And they did that well. And, and that's fine. But what I didn't expect was to find a decent plot uh, that actually maybe care about these characters and give a, a bit of more more tension to that to those moments, to the things they were doing. Uh, much more subtlety in the way that the uh, Rooster and Maverick relationship played mm-hmm. out. That that I did not expect at all. But I also I, – I, I'm, a, I'm a GM. I run, I run role-playing games, and I come up with all kinds of crazy plots and excuses because I want that cool moment to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they came up with a, a – a, 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 you know, I don't know if plausible is the right word, but they came up with an interesting reason for them to have this really yeah. tough challenge they had to work through and for Maverick to be the one that could pull this off to, 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 to make this actually work. And it – you know, I, I could easily go – that's not realistic. Why didn't they just do X, Y, Z? Oh, but, but to we're going to do that. <laughs> but to me, it was like, I don't care. They had the cool moment. They gave me a good enough reason to get the cool moment. And then they executed the cool moment really cool, yeah. really well. So that's kind of a couple of things. But, um, but the, you know, a good plot in a movie does, does make a difference. And comparing it to the original one, the original one has kind of a very linear plot to me. Uh, and then there's the whole climax part of the film, which is kind of dull. <laughs> Whereas this one went, no, 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 it's not going to be a simple mission. It's not going to be something simple. We're going to add in a ridiculous number of complications. Yeah. And then when that's done, we're going to add a whole other set of complications and a whole other set of circumstances you didn't see coming. And that's like, okay, great. You got bonus points there. All the characters leveled up. Uh, you've got some extra new, new, uh, new gadgets on your, on your lineup. And yeah. Mm. So I, I, I did enjoy that part. I didn't, I didn't expect to. I thought it would be like, I, I see. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so bitter about Michael Bay's Transformer movies. Mm. Oh yeah, because that took something I had actually interest in and goes, we're going to special effects this thing to the to death. Mm. We're going to give you cars in a blender, and you're not going to be able to understand anything. But this one took a bit more time. I still wish they had framed it a bit more, a bit more wider. I wanted to see the planes more in relation to each other, but they still do a very good job of making it exciting. So that's where I'm staying. Yeah, and this ties in very closely to something I wanted to talk about that the you know the, the whole narrative structure of this movie was a lot better than I was expecting and that yet again this is a movie not a documentary. <laughs> mm-hmm. This isn't how mission planning works. That's not how real navy missions. The, the the navy doesn't plan suicide missions. The the military does not plan to purposely kill their own people. That's not how it works on any stretch. Um but for the sake of the movie and for the sake of the, the I they want to tell an exciting story. So Top Gun the original and Top Gun Maverick, both of them in my mind, isn't what really happened. This is uh. the story that Maverick tells you at the bar. Yeah. After it happens. Okay. Sure. The Navy sent four planes to go blow up an underground nuclear bunker and you had to fly through a a Death Valley trench to get there. Yeah, that's really what happened. No, no crap. I was there. It's like, uh huh, uh huh. I'm sure. And was Max the thousand year old mouse there with you too? Um, it, especially the first one. The first one is so overblown. 
Yeah. I won the Top Gun trophy. Well, there's no such thing as the I Top Gun trophy. Know, I want to know who Maverick was talking to when he described the volleyball <laughs> scene. Like, Iceman. Who is because he, tra- he and oh, okay. Iceman are DTF. Okay, sure. Okay? Like, I'm sorry. There is more chemistry between Iceman and Maverick than there is between Maverick and, and Kelly McGillis. What is she? Charlie? Charlie. Yeah. yeah. They, they had no chemistry. Well, she was just in it for his experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. is, is, is that what he calls it? Using that, yeah, it's just using that poor young boy <laughs> for the for his knowledge. And uh, hey, baby, do you want the experience? <laughs> yeah. But um, another thing I'm gonna say is uh, they gave they did give us less to nitpick in this movie. You no, they didn't. See, they gave us you, very different ahem, things. You don't see cargo straps. Holding the motorcycle. It's actually Tom Cruise riding the motorcycle. You don't see uh, uh, towers changing because they couldn't do all the filming at one location because they pissed off an admiral. Um, you know. Sorry, Admiral Cassidy. I guess they shouldn't have flown over your house three times and interrupted dinner. I mean, yeah. There were less coffee spits in this. Oh, yeah. It was movie, much so. more believable that the pilots were in the planes because they actually the actors actually were in the planes Mm -hmm. so on that regard like honestly like as great as top gun was if you're remembering top gun is one of the most amazing movies that you saw in the 80s because wow it was so cool and so realistic watch it again it is not actually like your adult eyes are like oh wow that's actually pretty cheap or maybe don't watch it again so you don't spoil yourself on the movie you love that's true that's true just live in ignorant bliss besides you're going to see about a about a a, a, you know 10 or 15 minutes of the original film in the new one that's true you really don't need to to hang on uh and watch the old uh one thing that this movie did really really well that i i i know we we all we all share the same sentiment is um well a lot of people may not know is that val kilmer has been really really sick yeah. Yes. And that he's been I think it's been cancer uh and he's lost his voice. He's had a he's had a tracheotomy. He um has lost his voice completely. He has a hole in his neck now. Um and he's been quite sick. So Val Kilmer was he was the antagonist in the original movie. He was Iceman. He was the competitor. The competitor. Yeah. Tom Kazansky. Mm-hmm. And everybody hates Kazansky. And he's just a jerk. And he's a jerk to Maverick. And he's the Iceman. And blah, 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 But he's blah. not actually a jerk. No, he's everybody just else is a jerk like on his Iceman behalf. Iceman is. Yeah. I mean. So Iceman, it, we all knew that he would be sorely, sorely missed if he couldn't be in this movie. And then the rumors start coming out that Val Kilmer is going to be in it. It's like, well, yeah, but he's sick. So how are they going to do it? And let's hope they do it respectfully. And they did. And they did. They found a way to make him pivotal to the story, pivotal to the character of Maverick, very important, and yet still absolutely respecting the reality that this guy has lost most of his career and he's lost his voice. And, you know, the the character of Admiral Kazansky in this is sick. And all they say is that, well, it came back. And... Then they play it off. You know, he can't talk because it puts him in a lot of pain. So he spends most of his scene with Maverick typing on a computer to talk to him. But it was done so well. I mean, he he's, I think, to some degree, an underrated actor because he hasn't really been appearing a lot. But he's a really incredible actor to watch, and especially in some of the older films. And What was that one where he was blind and then he could see again? Oh, I don't remember. I think he won awards for that one. It was super – anyway. Yeah. So, but in this movie, while he doesn't have a huge role to play, um, they they 
they hold on his face and his reactions and the gravitas with just a little bit of a tilt of the head or the way his expression and his eyes go. Like it was very, very respectful as we all said. And and, and not only that, he still got to act. He mm-hmm. still got to act yeah. really, really well, but they did the clever thing of the sort of the visitor who comes and is practically reading his mind, but the character knows him so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he knows that Iceman essentially is almost like his, his uh, conscience or his confidant yeah. and has been supporting him. And well, yeah, th- there is that one part where he's like, uh, Ice, he you know, sends him a text message. He's like, "I need to see you." He's like, "Well, now's not a good time." He's like, I wasn't asking. Yeah, yeah I wasn't yeah. asking. We pulled rank on him once, but well, but even you're, then, you're a two-star like, admiral, you get that right. Yeah, you, know, That's you true. have that power. But I also think, it, 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 even if he were not admiral, I wasn't asking would also not give him the choice. Like their friendship is long enough that it's like, no, you don't have a choice. You're coming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I appreciated the I I was worried because you don't see him until later on in the film, but you see a photograph of Val Kilmer mm-hmm. as the as the admiral, and then you hear you see a little text. I'm thinking, is that it? Is that his appearance in the film? Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. a photograph yeah. in the background. Um, but no, they did they did that very well, and uh, yeah, it's it, it. I don't know. No, I don't know if some of the other characters translated over because there's there's a few other characters they mentioned that I thought were in the first film. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 other the other uh, person in charge at the base they went to, uh, and I forget I, it was Warlock. He wasn't in the first movie. He wasn't in the first. No, movie. I was because well, I, I was wondering if that was one of the other the other minor characters. In no, the first because film. the other the other pilot because there was only I think there was only one black pilot in the first movie, and that was Sundown. Oh yeah, yeah okay, you're right, you're right. But the the Warlock stuck in my head, yeah, so yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure if that was the same. Well, maybe um, because of Merlin. Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's the other thing too, is like, uh, you've got those characters who clearly know Maverick by reputation yeah. and there's that sort of grudging respect or there's that sort of reaction. Like, that's the thing in the, in the original film, everybody's just angry. You know, there's a lot of yelling going on. Yeah. You're disobeying orders, but you're, you're the best Doshgarn pilot we have. Whereas this one is sort of like, we know your reputation. Mm-hmm. We know you can do this. We need you to do this. Um, we don't want to give you leeway. But we kind of know we have to give you leeway. Yeah. And that sort of little subtle character interaction was all throughout this. Mm-hmm. Even with Penny. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, we have a history. We know each other. Right. So I, that's a running gag from the first movie. It's like, Maverick, you've been caught doing flybys plus three control towers, an aircraft carrier, and one admiral's daughter. And then Goose kind of leans in and goes, you talking about Penny? And then, yeah, Penny. Oh, okay. And every time they mention the admiral's daughter, it's always somebody going, do they mean Penny? And then we never get to meet her. We never get introduced to her. But there's no Kelly McGillis in this movie. So the love interest is, well, it's his on-again, off-again flame. It's that Admiral's yeah. daughter. It's Penny, who now runs a bar. Who was at most 16 when the original movie came out. So she would have well, been... Well, we're willing to yeah, hand wave We're going to hand wave that. Maybe she's older than she looks. But... <laughs> But they never said he did in, never did anything inappropriate. They just no. said he did a flyby over the admiral's daughter, and we are left to believe what no, that is. He 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 upset she, three admirals. Yeah. It well, was didn't the thing. she go up with him? She yeah, she the says. Yeah, they she mentioned that up. in this yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you took me up in a flight in an F eighteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, of course, this is played by Jennifer Connelly, the other girl I had a crush on in the eighties. <laughs> so yeah. I'm okay with all and of this. Still do. I mean, well, on. I mean, how can you not? Those green eyes. Although uh, the scene stealer, when in relation to that, is the character of her daughter. Oh yes. Uh, and and this is something I liked about this film too. Is 
there's a lot of really good lines that kind of turn the situation or turn the scene, mm-hmm. you know, and, and her daughter is given one of those wonderful lines. There's no, in fact, everything I think the daughter says is practically one of those lines. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, well, and such a good, such a good actress. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. She's going to go far, I think. Um, but I mean, even his relationship with Penny has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Because out, the whole crux of this movie is it's not just that he wants to be flying. It's it's Goose's kid. It's the kid that he's tried to stop from flying. It's the kid that he does not want to die. Yes. So the relationship that he has with Penny isn't just, oh, we have to shoehorn in a relationship here. It actually helps him because the big one of the big struggles of this film is that he is try- Maverick is trying to reconcile the whole idea of he's tried to keep Rooster from flying. He's tried to keep him safe. He doesn't want to have to relive what happened with Goose. And he actually starts the conversation with uh, Penny and says, how do you, you two have such a good relationship, you and your daughter, how did you manage that? Uh And she says that I had to let her make her mistakes. I try to protect her, Uh but honestly, I can't protect her. She didn't say it that way, but she says, I can't protect her from everything. She has to have the freedom to make her own mistakes and I have to let go. And then they talk about what, well, why does he, what's the problem between you two? Oh, you held him back. Why did you do that? You know, he's like, well, his mom asked me to keep him from flying. It was all I could think to do. He doesn't know that. No, I'm not going to throw her under the bus. And then he says, well, and when it comes down to it, I didn't think he was ready. Um, But it really, that conversation with her is what he needed. Uh, he it wasn't an instant flip, but it was definitely starting the wheels. And then the clincher was the conversation that he has with Ice, where he says, "You've got to let go. You've got to let go." And so a lot of this movie is Maverick letting go of Goose. He did not let go of Goose when he tossed his uh, uh, dog tags into the ocean. He's with him every moment, every time he does anything. Talk to me, Goose. Talk to me, Goose. You know. Um, and, and it was holding rooster back. So I, I really appreciated how they did that. I liked everything about it. She was not hey, Marvel. eye candy. Hi, Marvel. This is how you do a character with PTSD. Yeah. Not whatever the heck you think Winter Soldier was, because that was just a train wrecky bad. This is what somebody who is damaged by trauma actually looks like. And, and, and also, can we have more strong women that are just strong women? Like, this is a strong female character. She's running her own business. She's doing her own thing. She has complete agency and she does what she wants when she wants it. The only person she has to answer to is her daughter. Um, and, and still managing to be, you know, she's, you know, got that boss energy. She yep. runs her own business. She's in charge. But she still manages to be feminine. You know, it's not, she's not wearing a man cut suit with shoulder yeah, pads not, and trying not to. Sacrificing who she is because yeah. she is still who she is. And that's, I... that's the thing. It's like you don't have to be feminine, but she is as feminine as that character wants or needs to be, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and the shoulder pads would have been from the 80s movie. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so. But it's, it's, uh, I really enjoyed it. And there were a couple of times in this movie where you expected something to happen 
And it's not that they subverted your expectation. It was more they went in another way. And I'm thinking again about when he's sneaking out the window. <laughs> and it's really sweet because he says this is the last time we're ever going to do that because I'm never leaving you. And it was very touching. And then he falls and he gets up and you see the windows there and you're thinking, yeah, she's going to be like, hi, Maverick. The daughter's going to say hi, Maverick. And he turns and he sees her face. And it's not calm. It's not flippant. There's no smile. It's just, just don't break her heart again. And that was one of the most beautiful lines. And, oh. and one of the reasons I love that character so much mm-hmm. is that she yeah. got to do that. Uh, that was a, that was a painful yeah. moment though, because it was like, it was kind of one of the things I will say I liked about this film mm. was the little touches of humor mm. and, and they weren't slapstick humor. Nope. They were earned humor. They were humor that arises naturally out of an absurd situation or, or arises out of, out of a, of a, a something that made, feels real. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they also subverted the humor in that particular case and made the, one of those strongest emotional moments in that whole film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I really liked the writing. I, I, the writing, you know, was much better than I expected it to be. Well, uh, you're right. And th- there's that one scene where, you know, during the, the pivotal combat sequence where he has this sort of this argument with Rooster and it's like, why did you do that? Well, I was saving your life. Well, no, I was saving your life. What were you thinking? It's like, well, you trained me not to think. Yeah. Oh, right. I guess I did that. <laughs> and then he just kind of, huh. And Wonderfully written. Yeah. Very, very well acted. Yeah. Very funny and super poignant. Yeah. Uh, and then he gives him a hug and then, okay, well, we got to find a way out of here. And then it leads to one of the most awesome scenes in all of cinema. <laughs> um, I believe the Admiral was asking a rhetorical question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's that hand sign mean? I don't know. Yeah. How about that one? Yeah. Three, three, three fist down. I have absolutely no idea. Never seen that one either. But right. the but the point to your ear thumbs down, that universal sign for I don't have a radio. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally believable when you're wearing a, a helmet, which clearly states your, your yeah, call Maverick sign. Maverick across the front. Yeah. Um, whatever country they're in, whatever the, the aggressor rogue state is that they never mention, um... Uh, apparently they speak, they don't read English. Yeah, it's no. fine. It's fine. It's all good. Uh, I, I believe it's the empire. Mm. It is. It is. And we're going to get there. But the last thing I want to say is they had enough callbacks and enough things. I mean, like dead on things like, okay, rooster looks just like goose. And when you first see him, He's got the Hawaiian shirt on. And the bad mustache. And, and the, the bad mustache. And the glasses. And the haircut. And then towards the end of that scene, he's playing Great Balls of Fire on the piano. I mean, yeah. it is it, really good callbacks. And there's so many of those little callbacks and touchstones, which are enough to really bring back the nostalgia. But there was no, I feel the need for speed. Nobody lost that love and feeling. Uh, really you know, what, what are the other phrases that they're not allowed to say at Top Gun anymore? Oh, um, because I think all of them are it, not actually it, in the movie. It's in the entire Navy. Yeah, uh, in, uh, among naval aviators, from what I've heard, is it's twenty dollars to the bar if you quote the movie 
at any time. So no one can be your wingman anytime. You do not hit the brakes so they fly right on by. They are never too close for missiles. I'm switching to guns. It's <laughs> never talk to me goose, uh, which they okay, must they, be. Okay, they, they oh, said that a lot. They talk, to me, talk to me goose or talk to me dad comes up like eight times in this movie. Yes, yeah. yes. But other than that, like they didn't say any of them, although there were definitely times when you heard it in your head. I was a little worried to be to be honest when the movie started. And it's like this is starting exactly like the other one did. Oh god, are they just trying to replicate everything they'd done before? Oh, okay, there's danger zone. Oh no, we're in the danger zone. But that opening credit scene being the same as the original where it's you're just watching carrier deck operations. It's just yeah. it's just real footage of real men and women in the navy doing Running the world's most complicated little airport, four and a half acres of sovereign U.S. soil floating around the oceans, and somehow they land airplanes on it, mm. and you just get to watch them do it and have a blast doing it. Uh, God, I love that montage. Um, I, I think that um, there was also that pattern that they followed. Like there was definitely the um, all right. There's the thing that he does that he's not supposed to do, but he succeeds anyway, and he has to be a hero for it. But instead of demoting you, we're sending you to Top Gun. Ma- Maverick is the de- the the very definition of the term failing upwards. Yes, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what I was thinking. Uh, I was also thinking of um, ask begging for mis- uh, uh begging forgiveness instead of asking for permission. No. Except uh, he doesn't that- beg. No, he no. just assumes it's going to work out. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fine. And, and then it's... you've got the training, and then you've got the romance, and then um, you've got an accident. But thankfully, no one dies in this one. Um, oh, and then you've got the final mission. Lots of people die in this movie. All of the pilots don't don't get to love them too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, Think of this like an episode of Oz. But I, I will say, and we're gonna. Oh, I'm sorry. You have more that they could, did right. Well, I mean, you mentioned that they had the training. They didn't make it a training montage. No training montage. Yeah, they made it. They made it kind of moments of the training, very intense moments of training, and a lot of push-ups. It was also we, that's the thing. It was training where they fail. Yeah. yeah, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail, and that's what real training is all about: mm-hmm. pushing yourself to the limit until you fail, and then you realize what you can do. Right. But and yet again, movie, not a documentary. <laughs> yeah. Um. This is not how a military executes or plans or anything's a mission. But for the purposes of an action movie, I'm willing to ignore almost all of it. Because guess what? It was fun. And if it was a documentary of, you know, operational mission planning, where you watch the guys in the ops drawing on maps, figuring out how how many pounds of fuel they need for leg three of the... No one would care. Just me. <laughs> well, it would yeah. be me and two of my friends in the theater. Just, oh my God, did he use a number two pencil? Yes, number two! Woo! Number two best pencil, you know. I don't know how, but you probably would also be able to wear out the digital copy of your movie, watching it over and over again, rewinding those scenes and getting all the details. No, no, exactly. Um, but we would be the only, me and my two friends would be the only ones in the theater ever. Yeah. And it would make exactly, you know, three tickets worth of revenue. And it, it's not fun. It's not exciting. It's real. And like I said, this is the story Maverick tells at the bar afterwards. So it's, it's, it's grandiose, it's exaggerated, and that's fine. But they kept enough of the real. Like, 
actual startup procedures for an F-14 Tomcat that you didn't think you know you needed. Wow, how to operate an air cart, how to climb up an aircraft when the ladder's already stowed, how, um, uh, you know, some of the dogfighting maneuvers that they were doing, even to the thing of the physiological experience of feeling G-force, of when an airplane goes around a corner, yeah, actually, that was you really accelerate lovely. past your... So it's kind of like being on a roller coaster. You feel all heavy and sluggish in that corner of the roller coaster because you're experiencing extra Gs. We, so, may, we may have also found the secret to, to Tom Cruise's apparent age reduction. Because as, as it goes faster and faster, his face gets all the lines go away. Absolutely. But once you get beyond a certain point, that's where you're in trouble. So, that, so that's one of the things that they did for real in this movie was they put all of the actors in the backseat of actual naval aircraft and subjected them to carrier launches, excuse me, landings, accelerations, turns, dives, spins, and... They put him through the ringer, and when you see that look on Bob's face where his eyes cross and his face kind of melts and he sorts of sags, that's that's somebody that 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 is on the verge of G-locking or G-induced lack, lack of consciousness. Um, when the one pilot, when they have that emergency and he blacks out mm-hmm. uh, in in flight and has to be rescued. I really have to look that up. I I think they really G locked the guy. They had another pilot in control. I'm wondering if they if they, I'm wondering how scripted those moments were. Yeah, because it could have been they just pushed all the actors until one of them broke, and then they wrote it and in. Then they yeah, said, yeah, that's yeah. the guy. Clearly, he broke. Yeah, right. Um, but I've watched, and this is I don't know because I've watched footage of what pilots you know do and look in training when they undergo a G induced lack of consciousness and. That, uh, that guy is either the world's greatest actor or they literally over G'd him to the point where he blacked out and crossed his eyes and the well, tongue came out of his mouth and his head's lolling and all over can, the place. You can and, do a lot of acting, but you can't act, you know, you can't make your face fall back that way no. from the G-Force. No. So. We never did find out what Bob stands for, did we? Uh, there was the uh, guess that it was baby on board. All right. Right, he may, and you know that goes to the the reality of naval call signs and you know pilot call signs is that they're all derogatory because they're teaching you early in your career to have a thick skin and get used to taking criticism. So the idea of being called baby on board probably because he whined one too many times and they got sick of hearing it. And one of them is a Star Trek fan, and yeah, there's all kinds of speculation. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I th- I think my favorite my. my- my my favorite of the Navy call signs that I've heard so far was the one guy who was named Lamb Chop <laughs> for little angry man boy can't handle our program. <laughs> That's very mean. But if Lamb Chop, if you're listening to this, sorry, buds, contact me. I'll buy you a beer. Uh, so I wanted to kind of transition into kind of our nitpick section. I don't want to harp on the movie because no. it's not a documentary, um, but. Well, we're going to let NCAF talk about the, the big parallel to another movie oh, that I've this movie has. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> so, so um, it, it's okay. It's really hard to write original plots. I'll accept that. It's really hard to Well, there's only six stories, complicated, right? Complicated, <laughs> sure, and challenges and so forth. And as a GM, as a person who's run role-playing games, I've certainly reused plots from time to time. Sure. I've even used plots from my favorite movies. Uh, and I've got to say that the similarities. So, so did Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> well, the similarities between the challenges they face and uh, the challenges of a young uh, a moisture f- uh, farmer are rather remarkable. Uh, there is a tyr- tyrannical empire out there, which has a very highly secured base. 
in which there's only a very narrow opportunity to to attack. It requires extraordinarily good pilots. Uh, it requires uh, a, a lot of luck. And, um, yeah, this is Star Wars, folks. Um, yeah, it's totally Star Wars. This is just like episode four. It, it's, it's, it was, I was just kind of, when the first described that there's going to be a trench run. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay. We're all thinking it's just like uh, hitting womp rats. It, it, exactly. Back in my T-16 back there's home. There's a narrow yeah. target of the far end. There's a very risky thing. There are pilots saying, oh, this is impossible. Nobody can do this. I used to, you know, bullseye womp rats. Um, and it just, I mean, I'm not, it's not really a complaint. It was just sort of like, I can't, am I the only one seeing this? I, I immediately thought this could not be, you know, real. I must be imagining this. Um, and I don't know whether they intended it that way. Star Wars, of course, is one of the most iconic movies that's out there. Uh, it is a military film in many ways. You mm-hmm. might not think of it that way. Uh, it is about someone uh, kind of overcoming uh, some trauma to become an extraordinary pilot. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it's, it's Star Wars. It's, it's a trench run. And the, the thing is though, and what, what's, what saves it from being just a trench run is they didn't stop there. Mm, they right. went, okay, we're going to build up to this. We're going to have the trench run and then we're going to have more complications afterwards. Um, so we didn't get quite get the swamps of Dagobah, uh, but we did get the raising of, of a, of a, uh, starship out of the swamp sort of. I, I do like that in this movie, the good guy airplanes are not the best because they have to use F-18s for a very particular reason to accomplish yeah. the mission, but that the enemy has better. I mean, yeah. the, so, the Rebel Alliance couldn't afford very good planes. Right. They had and, they had. <laughs> and, and then when Darth Vader showed up in his very special not uh, Tide Defender, yep. I think it was called. Interceptor, I think. Well, one. the Interceptor is the one with the pointy wings. Right. Uh, and then his was kind of squished. I forget what it's called, but it was a, it, 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 the Darth Vader special. Yeah, yeah. I will say they went to the same costume shop to get all of the uh, the the uh, bad guy pilots uniforms that they mm-hmm. had from Star Wars. Absolutely, uh, hey man, basic black. It was. I mean, they are the they are the faceless enemy, and and that can be criticism. And, and at first, I was thinking it that way, but it really is. It's not about them. They're just the faceless opposition, which is really causing the problem, which is causing the other characters' catharsis. Yeah, and it, it makes sense if you if you think about it, because it's the same thing in the original movie, that the bad guys never talk. Mm. Because, well, we don't have their radio frequencies. Yeah. So how can we hear what they're yeah. saying? Like, we're, we're not, we're, it, it's, we're, we are not the, uh, the omnipotent, omniscient observer. We're obviously skewed towards one side of this picture. Yeah. Oh my God, now I need to see Top Gun from the other side. Then is that a tragedy where they lose all their friends? Wow. That um, would be a weird movie. <laughs> I was also going to say that um, we don't know because Tom Cru- uh, uh, Maverick didn't know. And when he's telling the story, I mean. Yeah, that's true. Right, cause it, cause uh, it I, is- I love that theory, by the way, yeah. that Maverick is telling the story at the bar. Um, and the fact that he had actually seen Star Wars, uh, Maverick probably did actually yeah. incorporate. Well, it was like a tr- trench run. And like like Star Wars? No, nothing like Star Wars. It was much cooler. The uh, And... I came up with this theory after watching The Hobbit, where, you know, the dwarves fall a thousand feet down a cannon into a cave and they meet a giant red dragon and all of these things. The story is just so insane. It's like, that's not what happened. That's there and back again. That's Bilbo Baggins' version of the story. Right. But that's him at a pub telling the story of what happened, you know? Um, 
So I could I could nitpick this to death. I could talk to you about how the weapons on the wings didn't make sense. I could tell you about what they're wearing, how it doesn't make sense. I could talk to you about every individual line and how none of it is real, but it's a movie, not a documentary. So the one thing I will nitpick, and it's not just this movie that has this problem. There's a lot of them. It's that this idea that pilots and officers are cocky, egotistical glory hounds who are just out to be the one in charge, that they're that type A alpha dog, hyper-competitive personality that is just there to prove that they're the best and everybody else can go F themselves and that they are the ones that are in charge is so false compared to when you actually listen to a fighter pilot talk or you listen to a Top Gun pilot or you listen to anyone who's served any amount of time in the military, that there are some people that have personality flaws and, you know, everybody's different. But on a whole, pilots tend to be, especially fighter pilots, very humble because they spend their entire career having every little minute mistake they make ripped apart. What's interesting is there's a line in the movie <clears throat> where Maverick is kind of pointing at, pointing out their justification for how these characters are built, oh, exactly. which is, which is uh, someone says they're the best of the best and Maverick answers. Yes. And they've been told that every step of the way. Absolutely. And basically they're getting full of their own ego. Right. 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 Although demonstration, when we see these characters, only a couple of them really are that arrogant. There's basically an Iceman character in this one. Right. Yep. Um, but <laughs> which is hangman. Man. Right. Wait. Yeah. We, and but, Han. <laughs> Han. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Who does come in the last moment and say the, the parallels with Star Wars are ridiculously uh, common in this movie. Mm. Um, but uh, although I still don't know who the Wookiee is, uh, but the, the, they kind of try to build a case for why that is there. And it's a believable case because everybody knows those arrogant SOBs, mm -hmm. those rhombuses, which are, are, you know, they've been the best in class uh, of, of your high school or whatever. And everybody tells them their best. They're the, champion of the football team and all that. And that's kind of the parallel they're drawing here. As a, as a friend of mine once wrote into a song, it's the king of school and the queens of cool. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they kind of, they kind of address the, where they're coming from with that. But again, the demonstration of characters like Bob, yeah. uh, even, I love Bob. even, Bob you know, great. he's probably the, the least secure of all those characters, mm -hmm. still very competent. And, and I like that all the characters seem to be fairly competent at what they're doing. They get overwhelmed mm -hmm. because they've never really done this stuff. And this is the thing is they also make a point of fact, the fact that, you know, only one of those, those, uh, top gun actually have combat experience. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and, and Maverick is the one with the massive amount of combat experience in like a 20, 30 year span of career. Mm -hmm. He's had five, uh, confirmed, well, uh, downs. Yeah. I think it and is. at the beginning of the movie, three. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's he also get, he gets his ace by the end yeah. of it. Woo -woo. Yeah. But there's that difference between kind of the, the how they've been built up to it, the reality of what their experience is, and how they end up. Uh, there's a whole lot of team building that goes on. Yes, there's mm -hmm. another sweaty scene of people on a beach. Uh, but yeah, but it was football this time. It was football this time. It was technically co-ed. It had no rules whatsoever, or none of them any sense. Uh, but it is a team building and there is a sense of them kind of becoming a team. And that's pretty good too. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of breaking down that barrier of, of competition. And that's it was, it was the first time in the movie or the training that the various, uh, young pilots actually had to work as a team because they were just competing with each other over everything. 
And this was the first time they were actually Yet again, together. documentary, not a documentary. Well, the but- weird thing is it's not like the first one was about the Top Gun, well, competition as they framed it. Yeah. Right. The second one's not about that. No. no. They're, they're, they're picking the Top Gun people, but it's not a competition anymore. No. Aside from who's going to actually do the thing. They picked the best pilots to do this mission to be trained by Maverick to yeah. accomplish what is an impossible task, which is the Death Star trench run. Right, right. Um, but yet again, that's not how it really happens, but that's how it was <laughs> framed in the movie, and that's fine. Just, but, but my point is that real pilots, are actually very humble because they get the humility smashed into them because characters like the hangman who are just, I'm here to be team leader because I'm in charge because I'm the best because I'm the only one that has a kill. Blah, 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 blah. That type of person gets knocked out in the first 15 minutes because everything that you do in the military and everything that you do, especially in combat military and everything that fighter pilots do from my observations is all about that teamwork. It's that if we're only as strong as our weakest member, because we all have individual parts to do. And one of the things that the movie gets wrong is that the leader isn't always the best. The leader is a specialized person in a team that, um, you know, the coach of a hockey team is not always the best player. Very rarely are they ever the best, but they can bring the best out in the people around them. And that's what makes a good leader. If if they were going to pick a leader that wasn't uh, Maverick, who would you have picked from what we saw? Oh, wow. We didn't get to see enough, I think, of some of the other teams, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. we get- But of what we saw, did was there one that stood out to you that yeah. you think could have made brought everyone together? Yeah, Bob. Absolutely. He had good situational awareness. He remained calm under pressure. He was able to relay all the information uh, required to as possible, and he knew enough to stay out the way when the other people were doing their thing. And, you know, having a having a Wizzo in the back seat that is there like a quarterback calling the shots, that's what you want in a leader. You want the guy who is able to bring out the best in everybody around him by just giving them the information they need at I, that time. I might have picked Fanboy. Okay. Because Fanboy, in all of those cases, was going, this is not what we should be doing. This is what we should be doing. We shouldn't be speeding up and separating. We should be. Right. And right, he wasn't right. being listened to the way he should be as a, lead, as a leader. Right. But he was always kind of in those moments going, okay, this is what we really should be doing. We need to make sure we adjust. Yes, I know we're not quite on the right time. But we need to be able to adjust properly. We can make other things up. A lot of them had similar similar statements. Yeah. But I think that his was uh, – which kind of led to an, an early wash, unfortunately, in, in their first training of that mission. But I think that he was kind of getting it. He wasn't as vocal, perhaps, as a, as a leader should be. Um, but I think people would have listened to him more if they'd kind of gone that way. Um, well, and that's the thing. Is that one, and it's something that we get used to, the military people get used to very easily, is that, hey, guess what? It's Monday. You're in charge today. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, who's in charge? He is. Okay, what are we doing today? You know, it, it, it just becomes a, a thing that, okay, they're in charge. I guess I'm going to listen to what they have to say. And this whole idea that th- this whole thing that you see again and again and again in war movies, but, oh, I don't trust him. And now oh, I'll never follow him anywhere and blah, blah, blah. It, it, it doesn't happen that way because well, the people that are in it are all uh, 
we all understand that everybody has a specialist part to play on the team and we all have to work together. But this is the, this is the, the story myth of the lone hero that is a North American strong myth. Right. Is there's always that, that one leader who leads above the rest. There's that one hero who, who does everything, who brings everybody else in. So while there's might be a team supporting the leader, there's always that sense of a singular hero. And I think that's kind of what they're playing into in terms of the myth, mm. although they kind of play into it and then ignore it. Yeah. Uh, as the movie goes along. So um, I was actually thinking Phoenix. I thought because she actually had good rapport with everyone. She knew everyone when they were all making introductions. She knew mm-hmm. every single person. And when uh, Rooster goes and he gets in the way and he in the first training thing and he gets killed and the other people are out there going, we should be the ones doing the pushups. It's our fault. And she says, and now you know what kind of a guy Rooster is. Um, She knew everyone and she knew how to talk to everyone and she knew how to change how she talked. She code switched whenever she talked to somebody different. She knew how to handle Hangman. So to me, I was like, oh, she's going to be the leader. They're not, it's, they're, these two are going to be bumping up against each other saying, I'm going to be the leader. I'm going to be the leader. And they're going to end up picking her. But that's not how it went because, again, they just went another way and you went, oh, okay. <laughs> but I thought that was – it's interesting that we each had very different good choices. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think Handman, Hangman is kind of poised as the Iceman of this yeah. generation. Mm-hmm. But he's really more like Maverick. Yeah. yeah. He's really yeah, he much really more like is. Yeah. He really is. And maybe that's where a lot – that makes me think that maybe there's a lot where a lot of that animosity comes from is that – Maverick is looking in a mirror because yeah. we've mm-hmm. all, I think, yeah. I think it's a universal condition that everybody has had a situation where you find yourself at total odds with somebody. And then you realize no, it's just, just because we're too similar mm. that I'm way. And I remember having a knockdown drag out, throw coffee cups at each other, threaten to kill each other level argument with a coworker. And then I go, oh my God, he's reacting the same way I would. Oh my God, he's just like me. I'm so stupid. And then it's like, man, I'm so, and then we became the best of friends after, but it was, it was that, that that realization. And I really think um, another nitpick, and I know it's a movie thing while we're talking about things. um, Man, there's a lot of close talking in these two movies. Especially the first one. Yeah, Yeah. it's very much a movie framing problem though. Uh, because that, that every television series I've ever seen, that it, it's like that too, where they're where they're they're only a couple of feet away, and, yeah. and but there's 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 a lot of scenes of these very like testosterone filled alpha dog dudes just like like being really breathy in each other's face, like just shut up and kiss, just get it over <laughs> with, get guys, over just, with. just kiss. So, do we even bother talking about the sailing scene? <gasps> This nutty, please tell us about the sailing scene. So, so I understand why it's there, but I will so, um, I'll just just summarize yep. and not go too like nerdy about something that a lot of people don't know. What she was telling him to do on the boat. So this was is Penny, not actually what they were doing. So this is Penny having to take her sailboat out somewhere, which is an excuse for her to spend time with Maverick. Yeah, yeah. and you know they, they, the the idea is that she has to take her sailboat to the yard. I assume that's where 
Scotland engine yard. mechanic. It's a long Scotland way. Yard. Yeah. It's a big trip. And because the engine is broken and she can't even get it going, so they had to sail out, which, by the way, is a tricky maneuver, especially just leaving the dock and entering a new dock so, under I mean, sail only. Isn't that what sailboats are for? So, f- full disclosure, you've spent your life sailing. I, the you, first you, time I was on a sailboat, I was two weeks old. Yeah, I hate boats. <laughs> well... They, maybe they don't like you. So you, have, <laughs> so you have a lot of experience well, in this. Yeah, just to give the relative perspective yeah, here, yeah. this is definitely Nutty's thing. I just don't. I boats they float. I guess they're wonderful. Um. So uh uh. Anyway, what she's telling him to do has nothing to do with what it sounds like. What she's doing. It sounds like they put up a lot of sail because she thought there was no wind, and then they got out there, and she's like, "Oh, there's a lot of wind. I didn't expect this." Now, first off. Uh, they were keeled over. They were keeled over as if they were racing, and it wasn't too far over. But she does decide, okay, we're going to let lower the the sails, and we're going to change. But she tells him to start hauling on the halyard, and it's like that's not how you lower a sail. <laughs> and then she tells him to to crank in um one of the sheets, and I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But it doesn't make sense that she sends him to do all of these things. But then when they change the sail. It looks like they're adding more sail, which does not make sense. More sail does not slow you down. It does not make you tip less. It makes you tip more and makes you go faster. Also, if you were changing sails, why did you not turn into the wind and not have your sails full? And why did you leave tension on the sail? Yeah, to reduce tension on the sail. And why did you leave your mainsail up? Like the mainsail, you bring down first. You start. Usually, usually, if I'm going out and I'm not sure about the wind, I start with just a mainsail. If it is windy, I will reef that mainsail. If I go out not, you know, expecting a lot of wind, I'm going to have the mainsail up first and I'll then put the jib up. But if I have the mainsail up and I realize, you know what, there's actually a lot of wind, I'm going to lower it a bit, add in a reef, and then decide what jib to put up. So it is just... Just a few little things. And the other thing is, really, I understand that this is more about the plot, but she would have done the line tending and the sail changing and would have taught him how to do helm. It's a lot easier to teach somebody how to point the nose of the boat where you need it to go than it is to use all these different lines to control the three different sails going on right now. That's all. That's that's me summarizing. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, that's fantastic, and I love that you're the one ranting about uh, what is a, a 45 second scene in the movie, <laughs> as opposed to me, because I could go on a very similar rant about why the heck would Hangman enter a dogfight with 2,000 pound GBUs and four M20s hanging on his wings when that is not a dogfight load, and he was sitting on the deck of a carrier and could have had the Ortiz switches loaded at any time, but. Your rant was much better, and I enjoyed that a lot better. So thank you, Nutty, and I'm sure the listeners will thank you they're, as well. They're all like, I've already turned off this show. Oh, man. Wow, this goes on for how many more minutes? I'm not I'm listening not to the rest this. of this. Boats are hard. Um, Boats are actually really awesome, and I, I was kind of – I was expecting, like, a nice little sweet sailing scene, and it was you notice like, how she didn't say – she didn't say, no, they're easy? No, yeah, they're yeah. not. No, it's all math. It's all math. I mean, to me, to me, that moment was all about the line. I just land on boats. Do, <laughs> do you know when I learned like real deal trigonometry and 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 stuff like that? Uh, it was it was on the boat. Learning right? the plot a plot of course. 
well, triangulating. Right. Mm. Uh, triangulating your location and, and where you need to go and pl- plotting out a course, that's basic. Are there but instruments for that? Can't you press a button? Slide rules and the circle ruler. Uh, yeah, that's what we did. No, no, no. Well, no, it's the, it's like a, a, a flat square and yeah. you've got a circle and you put in the knot and you're calculating the knots of wind. Yep. Is that called a compass? Um, don't believe so. No, I, I mean, in, at least I knew the compass was in, telling me the so direction. So, did I was you have, did you ever have one of those tools where it was like two sheets of paper in a circle held together with a pin, and then you know, oh, depending on on the course and speed that I'm going and the wind that I've got going, you would spin the yeah. Tool that's and, that's what I'm talking. And about, you would yeah. have a little a little yeah. window that would yes, show yes, you. Yes. Okay, yeah. In air in aircraft navigation, that's called a whiz wheel. Okay, yes, that's what I'm talking and about. Those things are super cool because somebody yeah. did all the math for you and all you do is yeah. they turn the two pieces of paper. I mean when Bob ripped out, pulled out the the manual and pulled up a piece of paper and just rolled it around it was amazing. Yes. Uh, that was the greatest way to navigate. Also by the stars. I like the fact they navigate by the stars. I have used I'm this lying. Accent. I know nothing about these things. Um but uh not on the boat. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that was just like my little rant. But I love Jennifer Connolly in this. I loved the relationship, so I'm okay with it. Also, uh, the nonverbal explicit consent I'm very much into with the drops her off. And the first time he dropped her off, she goes in, she shuts the door. The second time he drops her off, she leaves the door open and looks over her shoulder. Uh, that was, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. Um- that, that 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 was hot as heck. That's also in a relationship. Like they they as he says, this is not our first date. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of subtleties in there that are well written, and I, yeah. I think I, I think I really appreciate those. Mm-hmm. I like that we didn't need to know their whole backstory. We just know that they have a backstory. I like that the sex scene, quote, quote, between the yeah. two of them was... Pillow talk. Pillow talk. It was yeah. already yeah. done, yeah. and they're just talking. Yeah, yeah. We did not need the... the, the take no, my breath away. I was going to say uh, uh, cooking nope. eggs on her stomach scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no greasy lenses, nothing. No, um, no animal crackers going into her knickers. Thanks a lot. Uh, we may all just be too old for those scenes too. Like I, it, that was definitely in the first film they were going for it. So maybe, yeah. maybe but the first it, one was definitely steamier. Yeah, yes. but l- like I mentioned before, I've never seen it. So, but it's 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 <laughs> awkwardly placed. If 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 you ask me, considering everything else around it. Um, so what surprised you about this movie? I did not expect the Star Wars tie-in. Yeah, you know, I th- that did come, like, <laughs> I'll agree. I, I, I was surprised by how much fun the two of you had with it. <laughs> I really felt like I dragged you into this theater kicking and screaming. They're like, let's placate little Techie and let's let him watch his movie with the stupid planes. <laughs> and it ended up... I think they succeeded in making a very niche thing, which is, you know, naval aviation and making it into something that appeals to a very broad audience. Uh, I think they succeeded there. Um, I am surprised it did not end with Tom Cruise's funeral. You know, and there's a couple of times in that movie that all of a sudden they go, oh, that is how they're going to end this. They're going to end this with the death of Maverick and then everybody else going to have to pick up the pieces and like find out what his legacy is. Like, okay. Um, Especially when there's that wreck in the the opening 10 minutes of the movie. It's like, oh my God, does he die like right here? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be so fun. Top Gun Maverick. He did. Or at the bottom of the screen, 12 days earlier, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Uh, I, I, you know... 
again, I, I think I said this earlier. I, I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect about this movie, but I did not expect the plot and the writing to be as strong as it was. Uh, and obviously, the, there are <laughs> plot holes. The, 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 well, the, but the people who wrote the movie, yeah. some of them were involved in the original writing of the movie. I was worried this was a Tom Cruise piece. I was worried I would see his name as as one of the head writers. Didn't seem like that at all. And and that's that's also me kind of not entirely appreciating Tom Cruise potentially. Mm. Um, but it also it surprised me because in the first movie. They go through the big challenge and they win. Mm-hmm. The movie's over. This you can one, be my wingman anytime. Right. You know, it's all like, yeah, yay, we won. In this one, it's like they go through the big challenge. Huh. Things aren't quite going the way. They're kind of getting through the challenge. I don't want to spoil it all, but there's another challenge and there's another challenge. And it's kind of like, okay, they realize that that wasn't the end of the movie. Yeah. That was just the catharsis of the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But now that we've spoiled it all, go watch it anyway. Yeah, I, go I, watch it anyway. I, it's, you know, I'm going to say that this, I was not expecting me, I was not expecting to come out of this and say, if you want to know how to do a sequel 20 years later, watch Top Gun. Oh my gosh. You know, like the idea of this is how you do a sequel 10 years, uh, 20 years later. I know it's more than 20 years. This is where 30 years later. Yes. Whoever, like, like, uh, and I can't remember the guy's name. uh, Apologies. But the guy that directed this was the guy that did Tron Legacy, which I also think was a successful sequel. Uh, Joseph Kosick. I'm bad with names. K-O-S-I-N-Ski. Kaczynski? Kaczynski. Kaczynski. There we go. Kaczynski. That's Kazansky. Oh, right. Kaczynski. Okay. So... Tron Legacy was also a successful sequel many yeah. years later after the original movie Tron. Then they go to do Top Gun, hits the same thing again. This guy strikes oil. Uh, I think, I mean, this is how you do a sequel. And so many times we've all been disappointed by sequels. This wasn't one of them. Um, the only other thing even close to it that's come out recently that I can think of, but it's not a sequel, it's a remake, is The New Dune. Mm. done by Denis Villeneuve, which is done very, very well. I mean, I kind of was worried this was going to be a sequel in that we're looking for the next Maverick. Right. You know, yeah. and we're going to, and at the end of the movie, hands off the jacket. It's like, you're a Maverick now. <laughs> right, right, right. Here's your crown. Go kiss somebody. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was very, very good. I think he did a really good job. He's not a very pro- prolific uh, director, but apparently he's very careful. And what he does work on. Like, honestly, the movies that he has are six. And one's in post-production. Do we know any of them other than the Tron? And- Tron Legacy. The other movie is Oblivion, which is based on his original graphic novel. Cool. Okay. The Dig, which is a short film. And um, Only the Brave. Hmm. And then there's another movie coming up called Spiderhead. Clearly, that's also a Top Gun spin-off. Yes, yes that, exactly. That is an unfortunate call sign it's, it's, for a guy with very bad hair who is now forever known as Spiderhead. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it 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 looks really, you know, it looks like he's he's very careful in what he does and and everything. And I think he he worked really well. And he was the one who said we need IMAX cameras in these planes. You know, it wasn't Tom Cruise that said that. It was him that said, mm. we need to do it this way. I need I need moviegoers to feel like they're there. Uh, Tom Cruise is the one that insisted that they go to flight school. 
and that everybody go to. He set up a special flight school for everybody. It's kind of like a boot camp and then a flight school. So he created his own Top Gun school to make. Yeah, for actors. Yeah, which is fine. You know, for clarity's sake, the Top Gun school is to make instructors in the Navy to take naval aviators that are not just pilots, but they're also, you know, systems officers to teach them to look outside of their own plane at the bigger picture of a battle and understand all of the moving elements and pieces that go onto it and to um, become experts in a lot of these different domains and then bring that experience back to operational squadrons and help everybody get a little bit better and say, hey, so we have a particular job to do, but we can't do it unless these three other team players do their parts too. And this is how we can help them. And this is how they're going to help us. And it's always about building that teamwork and that big picture. And the real Top Gun, there is no trophy. There is no competition. There are no points. Movie. Movie. Not not a documentary. documentary. Um, But... I think both. Uh, one thing that struck me about this movie, I'm going to stop mm-hmm. talking after this. One thing that struck me about this movie is that this is very obviously a passion project. Mm. And I think that watching every single scene of this movie is exactly what they wanted. This is perfectionists at work doing exactly. There's nothing in here where they went meh. This is the perfect music with the perfect shots, with the perfect actors in the perfect planes, with the perfect backdrops, with the perfect everything, exactly the way they want it. And as to whether it's good or not, you know, these passion projects with somebody putting exactly their vision on the screen, it's a very, very fine line between something like this and the room. Mm. <laughs> it, it's it's true. It's, it's true. not that far off or it's Ed Wood doing plan nine from outer space. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a visionary director with a passion that wants to put something on film and you got we got unfiltered 100% what they wanted in this case it worked out the room well it didn't so badly that it went all the way around full circle till it worked again um mysteriously i think i think you know it was a good film but i kind of feel like and it probably would have cost even more but I kind of feel like this would have made a good miniseries because I think we would have had a lot more time with mm. the pilots. We would have had a lot more time with with some of the, the training. Some of those things would have got expanded. The mm. relationship would be a little bit more expanded. We would get a little bit more in-depth between... You're you telling know, me that instead of two hours, I could get 10 hours of Jennifer Connelly? Well, and they, it probably would have a smoother entrance for her. It wasn't bad. But I'm I, in. I, I mean, it, because I really feel like, as we were talking, as I was saying earlier, I really feel like while they introduced a lot of the other pilots, well, we don't get enough of them to really get a no. sense of who they are. Um, some of them are very f- full drawn from the very beginning. Bob, for example, great. Uh, Hangman, um, Phoenix, I think it was very well drawn. But as much as I put fanboy in the, in the potential of being a leader, I still don't know much about him. Right. You get little glimpses like the fact that it's the, it's the Star Trek font on his uh, helmet. helmet. Yeah. It's like, oh, fanboy of Star Trek probably. But it would have been interesting, I think, there to also play some more of the dynamics going on. Uh, then maybe even a bit more of the uh, the commander, or no, the two two or three star general or admiral. Sorry, was uh, running the whole thing by John Hamm, who also played uh, a a ridiculous rhombus in this movie. Right, um, right. That was what I was oh, saying. we meant earlier. to mention. Yeah, we didn't have we didn't have Tom Skerritt and Michael yeah. Ironsides in this movie. We had Ed Harris and John Hamm playing yeah. the rhombuses in charge. Yeah, exactly. And uh, wow. 
uh, did they ever do a great job. But, you know, how to be a jerk. How to be a jerk in two steps by John Hamm. Yeah. Although I mean, he's uh, so good at it. They gave us just well. enough to go, okay, yeah. he's not just a jerk. He's a jerk with a problem. Yeah. And he's done the math, and this is the still kind of jerky solution, but it's still the one he came up with. I believe the Admiral was asking a rhetorical question. <laughs> oh, Warlock, that was yeah. so it good. Was, it, was, it was quite good. Um, apparently, according to um, avgeekery.com, that plane that I thought was the Mustang that um, uh, Maverick has mm-hmm. at the beginning and the end of the movie mm-hmm. – uh, it is not the Mustang that Tom Cruise owns. No. Uh, uh, Tom, uh, the one in the movie, according to this, is, um. Does it have a name? Uh, it's an F6 or, it's an F6, either D or K. Okay. Um, and it's, um, he owns the P1. So they they go into great detail as to the differences, but it has the same paint job. It has like yeah. <laughs> me confusing the two is is not a surprise. Yeah, the, the uh, just a little a little addendum there. Um, yeah. A lot of those old warbirds, because there's so few of those mm. World War II fighters left around in flying condition, a lot of them have names mm-hmm. and they're very well known, and they, they do like air racing circuits and air shows and stuff. And like two of the names. I, I love the names of these airplanes. One of them is called Precious Metal. So there's a couple that were used. The other one's called Rare Bear. And I'm skimming this, and I could be wrong because yeah. I'm skimming this article. I'm seeing Kiss Me Kate mm-hmm. and Montana Miss. Oh, yeah. Um, but they, they, they're they missing the nose art. They're not sure what's in what scene oh, and okay, things okay. like that. So I get the impression. Here's a here's an odd thought, maybe. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that this, that Top Gun, the original, and probably Maverick as well, are to Tom Cruise what Pirates of the Caribbean were to, um, shoot, I had his name. Uh, Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. And that they became part of them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because it did feel kind of personal, what I was seeing of Tom Cruise as he's kind of, the, the both the exhilaration and in how he's getting into this, but also the concern. He cries a lot in this movie. He really does. Which he, is it's he, good. He should be. He missed. He yes. missed. He's never quite get all the way to tear. Yeah, he missed. Um I I think that um uh I think you're right on that. There's a quite a lot of the movies from the eighties that I think make up who Tom Cruise is um as a person and who he thinks he is. Yeah. Um and it, but I think Top Gun is probably like right at the top of that list. Also, if you ever look up a, a, a list of movies from 1986, you realize it was the best year on the planet. It was the best year oh on the God. planet. Um, the Everything Mets came won the me. pennant. So, so now that we have Top Gun and we have its sequel, we need all the other movies from 1986 to have sequels sure. that, that uh, didn't already. Wow. And all this year. <laughs> sure. So, so I get a new Aliens, a new Iron Eagle. And uh, new Ferris Bueller's Day new Off. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which they teased us one year. They teased us that it was going to be. They that, did. That, oh, at yeah. the, that at the Super Bowl, we were going to get a new Ferris Bueller, uh, and we were all expecting a trailer, and then it was no. We was just doing a so, stupid car We need a new short circuit where it's not a white guy playing an Indian guy. That would be really nice. Mm. Uh, apparently, we need a new The Fly, which I think um, I think a lot of people would be very happy to see Jeff Goldblum all... Gloopy There's a lot again. of internet internet love for Jeff Goldblum. Oh yeah. Uh, we need a sequel to Labyrinth. Stand by Look. me. How do you do a sequel to Stand by Me? 
I don't know. Stood by me? I, I, I don't know. Wait, wait a couple of minutes. I'm sure Stephen King will write it. I mean, wait, Platoon really is from 86? Wow. I thought that was earlier. No, that and that won everything that year. That won all the awards. That really did. Platoon that, is tough, so good. Tough year. Yeah, we don't need another Pretty in Pink. Or, oh God, Soul Man. Oh, this is this is for Vox Highlander. Yeah, Highlander needs Highlander is actually getting. When you think that an American tale, aliens, no, those don't exist, and the Golden Child all came out in the same year. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a weird year. Was that Golden Child as well? Yes. Oh gosh, I I I I want the knife. But um, (laughs) I really think that you know, I if if this is how we can do these kinds of movies, I'm all for it. Um, I, by the way, I would also really like a Howard the Duck. Thank you very much. But if we could do sequels like this b- more often, then I'm okay with sequels. But I'm a little scared of these 30 year sequels. Although, if the next one, you know, rips off the the Empire Strikes Back, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> I mean, that's true. It's a, it's a Maverick good- loses a hand. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so Hangman what, gets frozen in I don't know carbonite or something. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we we do have a. Uh, 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 Cobra Kai, so we are getting the Karate Kid here. Karate Kid Part Two. There you go. Um, so, what does everyone rate this? Oh boy! So, I, as much as I've liked this, I, I will I will preface this by simply saying that this is not entirely my kind of movie, right? So it's it can't get the really high scores, sure, because mm-hmm. of that. Um, but I probably would have expected this to rate. It's how do you what what's your typical scale? Do you have a scale? We go one to ten. All right. But the average is five, and that's a hard five. So it's not that three to seven so the, version of a one to ten that so people use. So the floor use. is five, and if I go below it, I'm breaking the rules. But if I stay above five, no, no, the, no, no. The, okay. the, the, so, the kills count. Is what you're so saying. let me, let me, let me, let me, let it's me. It's a hard, yeah, it's a hard deck of no, no. Uh, let me there was, this there down was one for movie you. that I rated a three, and I had very angry members of the audience that I did. We we have stolen the um. The rating scale and and uh kind of uh modified it slightly from the Trechnologic podcast. And that would be zero is horrifying, one is dreadful, two is tedious, three is boring, four is mediocre, five is average, six is solid, seven is exceptional, eight is dazzling, nine is penultimate, and ten is sublime. Okay. So we we actually like we use it as a fair scale, not as an NPS score. By the way, if you ever are given a survey because somebody has given you a service or they did a training or whatever it was, give them all tens because their performance evaluation and their raises are based on that. It is do not give them eight. That's not a good. That's considered bad. But in this case, we're actually using this fairly. This is actually meant to be and, academic. And don't forget the cover sheets on your TPS reports. <laughs> and just, we're probably not going to affect Tom Cruise's salary one way or the other. No. Uh, exactly. This, we're just a bunch of nerds behind microphones. It's it's hard for me to rate something like this. Like I said, if if it's right in my genres, right in the things I really enjoy, it, mm-hmm. it would definitely get a higher rating. Um, so I'm going to cut the scale in half mm-hmm. and say that it couldn't get higher than a five. Okay. Uh, because... It's just not in the genres I would look to. Sure. That said, um, I did not expect it to get a five, which I'm going to give it a five. Okay. okay. I, I did so not expect that because, I, I, like I said, I watching the original, it's like, mm. okay, I remember this film now. This is why I haven't watched this film again. So if you were to rate the original. 
I would be going like two or three. I think, okay. In the original, which is, which is basically like it, it, it has a, it has a place in film history. It has a yeah. place in cultural history, but it, it, it's places outsized from what the actual film was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more by what it influences more by what it, it created as an idea. Um, and again, I, my scale is already biased quite heavily, but I think that's probably where I would put it. So this one reaching right in that middle almost puts it into a movie category that I would like, you know? So, so that's where, that's where I'm coming from. Send all the angry hate mail to mm-hmm. tech and nutty. Yay. And I will that's ignore fine. it. That's fine. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to go next and I'm going to say, I'm going to give this an eight. I, I was dazzled. I was dazzled by this movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that it is nostalgia done right. I think that it, it, it added to the story of the original movie. It made things better. Um, I am, it's not a, like if I'm given an opportunity to rewatch one of these movies, I would rewatch this one. Um, this is the one that I would care about more. Uh, as long as you fast forward through the sailing. No, I'm fine <laughs> with it. I'm not that angry about the sailing. It just, tech was like, look, look, look. Um, <laughs> so we, like, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed this movie and I think that it actually makes the first movie better because it did continue and Maverick goes on to do something with his life and is not a jerk. And Goose's family is not left in the lurch. Because honestly, if you just watched that first movie, I really assumed that that was the last time he would have spoken to their family. After the funeral, he would ghost them. That was my thought. So this makes this makes the first movie better. So I'm going to give this an eight as well. And it's going to lose a couple of points for... Because I, I start with a perfect ten on all my movies, and they lose points for things as opposed to building up. So um, one is I don't think the soundtrack was as good as it could have been. I mean, the first soundtrack, all those Giorgio Moroder songs. We missed out on Giorgio Moroder, who, by the way, wrote the song everybody thinks Kenny Loggins did. Right. Um, Co-wrote. Yes. So uh, absolutely. um, Giorgio Moroder and, and, and Tom somebody. Like the only songs from this soundtrack that I still remember are the ones that were from the original movie. And it didn't have its own theme. It didn't have its own. There's a lot of these action scenes that really could have used like a good guitar riff or something <laughs> in there. Uh, another thing is that um, this movie is, um, you, know, you can't do a movie like this about the Navy without having the Navy sign off on it. And the fact that the Navy was willing to sign off on having their admirals seeming like bloodthirsty monsters willing to kill their own people. And that pilots are just these like giant egomaniacs with gargantuan brass cojones. And I don't know how they fit in the cockpit. I don't know why the Navy signed off on that. So that's a confusing thing that loses a half point for me. Um, the other half point is because it's a movie and not a documentary and the fact that you're going to fly into a heavy electronic environment and not have an EA 18 G growler jamming everything underneath you. And the fact that even in the, and this is where it loses the point in the list of acknowledgements in the credits, they go through all of the squadrons and ships and departments and bases and everybody that supported them, including an electronic attack squadron that gave them help. So they had growlers in there somewhere and then didn't put them in the movie. I mean, 
For the, they even had a wizard, Bob, as a main character. And you're telling me they couldn't put him in the backseat of a growler with a big puffy tail and the funny stubs on the wings. He's like, oh yeah, you know all those missiles? Bloop. They don't work anymore. That would have been so much better. Loses a half point for that. I give the movie an eight. I had fun. Uh, I, I do want to add on that, um, this movie, while didn't have Giorgio Moroder, um, didn't have the same song used three or four times. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there was definitely uh, over... But that song was so good, you didn't mind hearing it three times. Now, granted, Giorgio um, uh, Moroto has said that the work he's most proud of is Take My Breath Away. I got so tired of that song, though, because <laughs> it was so oversaturated as oh, far yeah. as oh, yeah. it came out. Well, I mean, that's okay. And he also, um, another big one is uh, What a Feeling. So, Yeah, well, he's had a fantastic career. Yeah. I want to I just say that while my score may skew a numerically generated average, mm. I would still say go see this film. I, 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 I think from your description, you're more of a solid than an average. And, and, but I'm and, not and telling with, you to change your score. And, and, and with that, what you're saying is go watch it because you might enjoy it, not yeah. go hate watch it because it's yeah, the room. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's not a badly made film necessarily. It's just that it, it's not the genres which really appeal to me. Well, sure. But, you know, of, of a genre that doesn't appeal to me, it's still scored almost on the level where it's in my genre. Right. Which is like six and above. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it is an enjoyable film. It is an action film. Absolutely. It's an action film with a bit of heart. It's an action film with uh, a, an interesting problem to solve. And then it just, it, it, once and it finds a bit of more humor, it also, I don't think we talked enough about that. I, once, once the it, comedy kicks in. Right. And once that's there, it really brings more humanity to the film. Uh, so much fun. It's like, you could have been an admiral by now. You could have been a senator. Why aren't you? It's like, well, that's one of the mysteries of life. What, you think this is a joke? <laughs> <laughs> What would you? What answer would you like me to give? None yeah. of them are going to make you happy. That's yeah. the. That's. I do like there, and, and we we there were a couple of times where people said, "I don't like that face," or "I don't like the look on your face." <laughs> it's the only one I have. It's the only and, one I got. <laughs> and it's only to the one guy that he responds with. It's the only one I got, and you just kind of hear it every other time. It's like I know that look on your face, and it's like it's the only one I got. Yeah. <laughs> But on that note, that was that was what we thought of Top Gun. This is our Top Gun extravaganza. Top Gun Maverick. Yes. Top, well, we kind of skewered the other one briefly, but yeah, you can't talk about Top Gun Maverick without talking about Top Gun the original. I think. Um, but it was it was great. It was an event, and I'm for one, I'm so happy to have something that is nostalgic that doesn't make me go, "Ugh, really? They did that." So on that note, I'll say it's a, it's a good movie. So thumbs up. And, and with that, yes, it's a nostalgia bomb that didn't make me feel old. Yes, yes, I agree. It did not make me feel old. I do have lots of thoughts. And by the way, if any of you listening um, know anyone or are someone who is does not have living memory of the Cold War. What do these movies mean to you? Like, what is it like for you? I'm so fascinated. Also, get off my lawn, you <laughs> young kids. We love you. Um, so thanks so much for joining us. Go ahead, write us in. Hate, write us. Let us know how wrong we are. Um, we're, we're happy to hear it. If you watch the movie and you do write them, you will find yourself quoting the movie. I feel the or Well, hopefully the second movie. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. 
And we just want to thank our patrons without whom you wouldn't be getting two episodes a month and I wouldn't be able to pay my server fees. So thank you so much to everybody that's keeping this podcast going. You all are the best, especially our top tier patrons, Jax, Jason, and Rich the GT, our patrons of the arts, Andy, Mark Cabot, the encaffeinated one who you heard on this episode, the bathtub mermaid, Paul, and Susanna. And thank you to all of our patrons, the lifeblood, the the ones that keep everything going. Thank you to Cliff, Grig, Harold, Hugh, Ian, Justine, Ken, Kinsey, Mike, Patrick, Radical Geek, Shane, Stephen, Will, and Zachman. Thank you so much for all of your support. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42. 